On today's episode, we are bringing back an expert that you have heard from a couple of times. Uh, a lot of our clients have sat down with him. His name is Chess Griffin. Uh, he is an estate planning attorney. Uh, in the past, we've talked about wills and power of attorneys and uh, simple trust. Today, what we are talking about is special needs trusts. And um, this may or may not apply to you, but you probably know someone who it could apply to. So uh, there's a good amount of information that we go through here. And I think it's going to be worthy of a listen. Yeah, I tell you, you know, these comp these topics that we go through, especially on estate planning, uh, it's overwhelming. It, it, there's so many different things you got to think about. And I know that Merce and I, you know, we're constantly having to go to chess and ask questions and try to figure things out. And so this particular topic of special needs trust is something that um, can be so needed, but yet has a lot of different things we got to think through. So by the way, uh, if you've not had a chance here recently, go check out our website, pomwealth.net. I encourage everyone to go to the blog page. We have an article that comes out every single week that has uh, just a tremendous amount of uh, educational benefit if you are close to or already in retirement. We also have a online masterclass that Merce and I have recorded called Three Keys to Secure Your Retirement. Check that out. It's absolutely free. We never ask for any money on that. Um, and before we get into our actual show today or our podcast today, we have to do a quick disclosure. The information contained in this podcast is intended to provide general information only and not to be considered individualized advice. Different types of investments carry different levels of risk. As always, please contact your financial professional for advice appropriate to your situation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high-achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stansel and Merce Tariq. Welcome everyone to our Monday podcast. Uh, each and every Monday, Merce and I, our goal is to make sure we handle questions, by, but we do this with the help of an expert, somebody that we can bring on to help us answer the questions. And uh, this is uh, a repeat expert. He's such an expert. We bring him back multiple times. Uh, Chess Griffin, who is an estate planning uh, attorney. And so let me just say this right up front, um, Chess, we certainly do appreciate you buying out time out of your schedule to come on here and answer our questions and help our listeners. Well, sure, uh, Raiden. It's uh, always great to be here. And Murr, it's great to see you. I, I always uh, enjoy these conversations. So, you know, look forward to getting into this topic. Good. So what we're talking about today and is this idea of what we call a special needs trust. Now we're going to kind of go down this path. We're probably not going to go into every detail that could possibly be out there for a special needs trust, but we'll at least hit enough that maybe if a person has a question about it themselves, they might know, okay, this is where I can go to get answers, or this is what something I might need to think about. So, uh, I know that in the past I've gone to chess and talked about some, some situations with my clients and said, Hey, how do we deal with this? And this is kind of the topic that we at least got to go down the path of exploring. So uh, can you, first of all, chess, just explain to us 
why we use this term special needs and what that applies to. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. A special needs trust. Um, sometimes it's called a supplemental needs trust. Also sort of, uh, sort of a synonym, I guess, but generally um, these are when people have, you know, a family member who uh, might be eligible either currently or perhaps in the future for some kind of, um, um, you know, uh, like Medicaid or social security disability, some kind of assistance program like that, you know, where someone can apply for financial assistance, uh, you know, for healthcare needs, generally speaking. And so a special needs trust is a special kind of trust that um, is set up to still take care of that person, but we don't want to disqualify them from all those benefits like Medicaid or social security disability. So I usually see it with my clients who may have a, a child who is disabled or who has some other kind of special needs and they want to take care of them, but they still want to leave the door open for those kinds of, you know, Medicaid and social security disability. Gotcha. So, and that, that, that seems to be what comes across our table uh, as well. Um, and that's the whole reason for bringing you on again. I, I know you've been on our podcast quite a few times to talk about wills and power of attorneys and all these little documents that you need to have in place. But if someone has that, that, that situation where they're trying to make sure that a loved one, a child, or a family member is taken care of. Um, that's where this special needs trust comes into play. And so yeah. how, how does it work? How does a special needs trust work? Um, I, obviously, there's documentation. You sit down with the attorney and you, I guess you first decide, hey, maybe a special needs trust could help you. But how do they actually work? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's a great question. So what's interesting, I guess, is that, you know, a lot of times, so let's think about the sort of standard situation where maybe you have a, a client with adult children who are all mature and doing fine. A lot of times, if we set up a trust, you know, we might give those adult children the right to withdraw, you know, their share at a certain point in time, maybe when they reach 30 or, or something along those lines. Well, the problem when you have someone who is special needs, who might be eligible for those kinds of things we talked about, like Medicaid, we, we don't want those people to be able to reach the trust. Uh, we don't want to give them the right to withdraw because those kinds of programs, uh, they often look at, or they generally look at the applicant, meaning the special needs individual who's applying for Medicaid, let's say, they look at that person's income and assets. Um, and these rules vary all over the country. So I'm just gonna kind of speak in general terms, but, but generally speaking, if that person's a beneficiary of a trust and they have the right to take it out, you know, they have a right to withdraw, then that trust could be considered an available resource to them, in which case they might be disqualified from those uh, programs. So, the way it works is typically the trust is drafted to not provide that person with the right to withdraw, but instead give the trustee sort of broad discretion to distribute for that person's supplemental needs. That's why we call it sometimes a supplemental needs trust. It's intended to supplement what Medicaid, let's say, doesn't pay for, um, but you can't have it all, you know, both ways, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. So the beneficiary really can't have any rights to it um, in terms of the right to it, to take it out. Um, so that's typically the way it's done is to set it up to give the trustee broad powers to distribute as needed. So 
when I think about that, I mean, I know you mentioned about adult children and we're thinking about applying potentially for um, these other benefits that I could get uh, or a person could get if they are special needs. But now I'm assuming here, and I'm going to ask a question that might have two answers to it. Um, but let's say that I, you know, I have a younger child and maybe they're not an adult yet, but I, they, they are special needs. And I know that. Mm -hmm. And, and I, you know, kind of like for me, you know, I have minor children. I want to make sure that I've got things set up for them so that uh, if something happened to me, let's say an accident or something happened and took me out early, I've got things set up for them. So are there, are, are special needs trust, are they needed prior to them becoming an adult? Is that a scenario that we might need to think about? Well, um, they can be. Uh, certainly we can implement them in the future once they are an adult. But, you know, to your point, Raiden, a lot of times what I'll do even in, in trusts for my clients who have minor children who maybe are not yet special needs, we will add special needs language sometimes to the trust just in case they become special needs down the road. They may be perfectly healthy now, but what if the child is in an accident and becomes you know, disabled or something down the road? Uh, so you can really implement it at any time, whether they are young or an adult or whether they are currently in that situation or we just wanna cover you know, the what ifs. It, it really, there's a lot of different variety there. So, so am I correct in thinking then that uh if we use the term special needs, that I, am I only really calling it a special needs trust if I am, if I'm dealing with somebody who is receiving some kind of government benefit that I need to make sure that the money is regulated correctly? I think that's sort of generally the, the way people view these trusts and the way they're often implemented, but that doesn't have to be the case. In in fact, I've done some special needs trusts where the person, uh, you know, the child, let's say, may not even really ever apply for Medicaid or Social Security Disability. Maybe their situation's not quite at that level. And the parents, you know, they're not sure that they ever will apply for those kind of governmental benefits. But they want to set it up just in case, um, in case their child, you know, the, the condition progresses or something along those lines. They want to make sure the bases are covered because the flip side is because the trustee can always distribute as needed. Let's say the child never really develops, you know, in a, in a significant way, you know, uh, you know, it's not severe. Let's say, let's say the child is able to live independently someday and they're never really going to qualify for Medicaid or social security disability. Well, the trustee can then just go ahead and give them the money you know, assuming the trustee wants to. So it really does kind of cover the bases both ways. I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. Yeah. And so that, that brings me to a question of, because in a, in a previous podcast, we've talked about just your your uh, simple trust, uh, in all essence, a uh, revocable living trust where 
Um, a lot of times the, the grantor or the person who puts the money in is also the trustee. And, and so in this scenario, that's not the case, right? Or, or maybe let's talk about how important it is when it comes to deciding a trustee for this type of trust. Right. That's, yeah, that's, and the, you know, the trustee question is always a difficult question, even in the regular revocable trust that you mentioned first, because really this is only going to be, not only, but oftentimes this is really going to be relied on, like if the parents died, like Raiden was just talking about, he wants to set things up for his kids. So the parents are gone and now you have a third party stepping in as trustee. And so, you know, they're going to need guidance on, on what to do. I mean, I have one client that I'm thinking of right now who uh, has an adult child, a uh, son. He's the, the adult child's in his 60s and he is a special needs individual and he lives in a group home. But um, the, the client, his mother, she was the one I did the special needs trust for, you know, she drafted on her own a very long letter to the future trustee um, describing her son and the kinds of things he likes to do and you know, the church he goes to and the transportation service she uses and, you know, things to try to keep a sort of a, a constant in his life if something were to happen to her. So things aren't just completely upended. So it's almost like thinking of this trustee is like when you're thinking of a guardian for your minor children, it's similar to that, uh, because you want to have someone who's going to be empathetic to, to the individual, you know, the special needs individual, and who's going to be willing to take the time to read these instructions and hopefully follow your guide, your, you know, your guidelines. I mean, she even put in this letter, the kinds of movies he likes, he likes to go to the movies, you know? And so, you know, she wants the trustee to be able to coordinate trips and take him to the movies or have someone take him to the movies from time to time. And she really wanted to make sure the trustee knew about that. So those kinds of details for this kind of trustee, I think are really critical. Yeah. So I know that in, you know, my situation and I think many situations, especially if you're doing this, I don't know, uh, and you've got younger children and you're planning for something in the future, but I guess anyone, when it comes to funding, obviously I know you could just take an account and, and, and fund this trust with money, but can right. you fund these with life insurance as well? I mean, when I say fund them, can you have life insurance that will fund it if you die? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That life insurance is a great asset for it. Um, the one asset that I would stay away from are retirement accounts for special needs trusts because of the required minimum distributions, even with the secure act and the 10 years and all of that, you can, there's ways to maybe draft it. You can do it something called an accumulation trust and, but that might be very complicated. So, uh, you know, I, because of those uh, rules, I tend to recommend staying away from the retirement accounts for special needs trusts and using something like life insurance or, or other assets like that. So kind of going back to the trustee a little bit, um, when, when, that, when that trustee finds out that this trust has really come into fruition and they are now the trustee, I guess some of the, the things that they could be thinking about is, well, how do I a lot of times trusts are invested in the, in the market to earn some type of rate of return. And um, so how do I go about managing this money? I guess, I guess my question is, is, is the trustee in all essence responsible for the, the investment side of it, or is it really just their job to pick someone to help them out with the investment side of it? Um, that's my first question. So you can answer that. Then I've got a follow-up. Yeah. Well, actually that's the role of any trustee. 
um, I mean, whether it's a special needs trust or just your regular old revocable trust, you know, a trustee has a fiduciary duty to manage the trust assets, you know, in a prudent way. And uh, so that would certainly involve making sure it's, the assets are being invested wisely. And when I meet with trustees, you know, I usually recommend that they seek out professionals like yourselves, you know, to, to um, do that for them um, and not try to be a jack of all trades, you know, and I mean, any one of us, uh, if we were put into that kind of fiduciary role, I think we would want to make sure we hire, you know, good investment managers, a good accountant to do the tax returns, you know, good people to fill out the team. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that is a big part of being a trustee. Right. And then, so my next question uh, comes back to the power of the trustee and their ability to withdraw funds as needed um, yeah. for the, for the, the special needs person. Um, where, I guess, where are the, the checks and balances on this? Cause essentially the trustee has all the power and you, I, my guess is that the special needs would not be able to know whether or not there's abusive power here. So where does right. the, the checks and balances come in into play this way? Right. Yeah, that is a really excellent question. And you're right. It's it's going to be tough. I mean, technically speaking, you know, in, in many states, there's there's, you know, uh, a state agency who kind of has, you know, uh, control over individuals who may be in this kind of situation, like an adult protective services type of agency. And I think sometimes those kinds of agencies, in theory, at least, you know, could take steps to protect uh, an individual's assets and their legal rights and their legal interests, especially if they are the guardian. And, you know, otherwise, I mean, there may be another person who's appointed guardian over that uh, individual, you know, even over an, you know, an adult, there are adult guardianship proceedings. Um, so it would either be the guardian who would have that right or, or that state agency, I would think. But the reality is, I mean, there's not going to be a lot of people looking over the trustee's shoulder. And so um, when the when my clients are putting these together, it's really important to think about who that trustee is going to be. So I, you know, I don't know how rare or common or whatever this might be, but I guess if if I if a person found out that they themselves have a condition that will get worse and worse and worse uh, over time. Are they, I know we've been talking about this idea of setting a trust up for the child or for the other right. people, but if I, if a person knows, Hey, I've got a condition that's going to potentially put me in a position of a long-term, I'm talking long-term care scenario, not your yep. normal yep. older age one. It, can I do this for myself? Is that possible? Yeah. yeah another great question. And that's really, yes. And uh, yes, it could be done, but it's very complicated. Um so yes, as you said, Ray, we've been talking about setting up trust for someone else. We call that a third-party trust. So like the clients are setting it up for a third party, in other words, the child. Um, but it's being funded with the client's assets, not the child's assets. So those are fairly straightforward, like we've been talking about. But when someone wants to set it up for themselves with their own assets, that's a, like a first-party trust. And then you're entering into the uh, dark and murky and complicated world of Medicaid eligibility and transfer rules and things like that. You know, Medicaid, to use that as one example, there's lots of other programs, but that's what you hear about the most. You know, Medicaid um, looks at, a, like I said, an applicant's assets and income. 
They also look at transfers that have been made uh, because the, the thinking is, you know, the Medicaid rules are, are set up. So we don't want someone to, you know, have a million bucks on Monday, give it away on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, go and apply for Medicaid and say, I, I don't, I got nothing, right? I mean, so the Medicaid, you know, they look back typically five years uh, for transfers that have been made. So if you're setting up trusts and funding it with your assets, um, that could run afoul of those Medicaid transfer rules. So the long and short of it is it could be done, but it's a lot more complicated and it would require um, really talking to an expert on that kind of Medicaid eligibility. Yeah, yeah. It seems like there's, there's quite a bit to it, even just wanting to, to know whether or not this may be something that uh, a person should go down the route of, you know, trust in general or adding in a special needs provision. Um, so, so Chess, uh, thank you again for all your time today and for your expertise. But if you could, uh, for our listeners, could you just exp- kind of share what your process is when you're helping? I know you've helped out several of our clients over the years, uh, kind of think through these scenarios. Can you just share with our client, our, our listeners here how you do that and then maybe how they could uh, reach out to you? Yeah, sure. Um, so first, in terms of reaching out to us, uh, our office number is 919-848-0420. And our website is hirschlaw.com. And when someone reaches out to us, usually they get in touch with my paralegal and she um, uh, sends out the, we have a little questionnaire. It's not complicated. We don't, we don't overdo it. We used to, but I think we simplified it. <laughs> um, so we have a little questionnaire we send people. And once they send that back, then I meet with folks and we just have a, 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 you know, a discussion, um, a, a consultation. There's no charge. I sit around and talk with folks for a good solid hour or so. And just kind of kick around ideas and thoughts and concerns and talk about sort of the, the, you know, the process. And then if people decide to engage us, then we kind of go from there. But we try to make it a very uh, painless process and a very down to earth process. And it's, uh, it's a process of us helping people kind of put the right pieces in place, um, including these special needs trusts when they're appropriate. And we have a lot of clients who, who do these kinds of trusts and they would be very, very important to have if something were to happen to the clients and the, the, the child was to come into an inheritance. We really want to kind of protect those assets and protect that child as best we can. So yeah, I and appreciate I'll, the opportunity to talk about it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this, I've been through this uh, process with Chess uh, a couple of different times just because things have changed and we went through the whole process and I will say that it has uh it is, it is very, very painless. It is not painful at all. Well, that's good it, to hear. It, it, works, <laughs> it works nice and easy. And so we appreciate it. We appreciate you coming on and talking Certainly. to us here. And uh, we know that you've been a great help to uh, all the clients that we've sent your way. So thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me again, guys. I really appreciate it. All right, everyone. That wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, Please share our podcast with your favorite social network 
so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.